Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. On the line with us is uh, Dr. Amira Enya, the Policy and Research Coordinator with the Movement for Black Lives. M4BL.org is the website. And, uh, and Dr. Enya's uh, Twitter handle is at A-M-A-R-A-E-N-Y-I-A. And Dr. Enya, welcome to the program. I, I, looking at this uh, press release, it, it looks like you guys have put together just a, a jaw-dropping report on how, in particular, the Trump administration, but governments around the country have been just going after people associated with the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, particularly in the wake of the murder of George Floyd. Uh, tell us about this. Yeah, first, thank you so much uh, for having me on to talk about this report. Um, but it is it is really uh, something to see. So the Movement for Black Lives worked with the CLEAR Clinic, and CLEAR is the Creating Law Enforcement Accountability and Responsibility Clinic at the City University of New York. Mm-hmm. And so they embarked on this study to really look at between August of 2020 and October. So the end of August, around August 30th to October 25th of 2020, we looked at the cases that were federalized, cases, uh, individuals who had been charged after the uprisings, which took place throughout um, last summer and continuing, continuing afterward. But we looked at the cases to establish and to see a pattern where the federal government stepped in, essentially was engaged in overreach to federalize these charges, overstepping even local and state government uh, to charge individuals who were involved in protest. Um, and what we saw was quite troubling, although there is historic pre- historical precedent for it. Uh, in many of these cases, in of the 326 cases uh, that, that we examined, we found that in a large percentage of those cases, uh, around 72 percent, um, the mandatory minimums were involved. So this is where you know, we start to talk about the, the connection between mass incarceration and the state intervening and federalizing charges in ways that ensure mandatory minimums for people, uh, in ways that ensure that their federal charges, which come with a different set of consequences uh, to it. And it was in particular 
those who were engaged in, in the uprisings last year after the murder of George Floyd. So it's a very troubling report in terms of what we found, but we also know that there's historical precedent for it. Well, and, and, and there's a precedent kind of on the other side. I mean, for a long time, uh, going back to the Kennedy era, actually, uh, Robert Kennedy, uh, mostly, uh, uh, you know, post-assassination of John Kennedy, but uh, uh, Bobby as attorney general, um, where when uh, people were, for example, lynched or murdered, you know, or, uh, or somewhat smaller crimes, but state governments refused to prosecute or, or failed to convict, the federal government would step in and say, well, yes, uh, that person is dead now. You weren't convicted of murdering them in court, even though obviously you're guilty. So we're going to convict you of depriving them of their civil right of life. And for years now, the Rush Limbaugh's of the world have been moaning and groaning about the federal government stepping in when state governments fail to act. This is kind of along those lines, but a radical departure. I mean, that is done in, to ensure justice. This is being done to, I would say, corrupt justice. Can you, can you clarify the distinction between these two types of federal, uh, basically, preemption of state and local law? Yeah, so in this case, it is done with the clear intent of instilling fear and, and, and pushing what would be essentially a chilling effect for those who are engaged in protests, particularly those who have been calling out systems of oppression, which is what happened last year. So in these instances, the federal government is actually getting involved to ensure that individuals are prosecuted uh, with harsher sentences uh, to ensure that those sentences stick. So, for example, in federal cases, uh, individuals are required to serve 85 percent of, of their sentence versus a state or local level. Um, the federal government is essentially stepping in to make sure that there's a fear of actually engaging in protest, because if you are engaged in a protest and you get arrested, you will be the, the, the charges will be harsh. The consequences will be significant. And this has to be also considered alongside some of the legislation, anti-protest legislation that's been sweeping the country in the last year. We had dozens and dozens of bills um, that have been introduced by Republicans in state houses across the country. And one thing that really stands out is in one legislation, for example, in Florida, where they actually have reduced the sentencing for an individual who uses a vehicle to drive into protesters. So they actually reduced the, 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 the potential charges for that kind of infraction, while at the same time we're seeing that the federal government has, has uh, federalized a lot of the charges against protesters who are involved in, uh, in these uprisings for racial justice. And so this is the dynamic that's playing out. On the one hand, the state or the federal government is getting involved to suppress protests and to make sure that there are significant consequences for people exercising their First Amendment rights. And also we have at state houses across the country Republicans introducing legislation that, that reduces, for example, that, that suppresses the ability to protest, but does, does things like reducing charges for people who drive vehicles into crowds of protesters. Right, so this right. is the dynamic that we have. So we're going, to make it, we're, we're going to make it harder and less legal to exercise your First Amendment right to um, free speech and to, to petition your government for redress of grievance uh, exactly. in, in, by, by you know, collective action. We're going to diminish that right 
and we're going to reduce the penalties for people who try to kill you when you are protesting by driving a car into your into your outfit. To what extent, we're talking with Dr. Amara en, uh, Enya, the uh, policy research coordinator at the Movement for Black Lives, m4bl.org. Um, uh, Dr. Enya, to what extent was this uh, anomalous? To what extent was this something that came out of the, the, the Stephen Miller bowels of the Trump administration? Well, we, I, I live in Portland, Oregon. We certainly saw it here, and there have been a, a bunch of federal prosecutions here in Portland of people who were uh, convicted or, or are being prosecuted for federal crimes that had the feds, had they not, you know, Trump not sent federal forces in, uh, those people would be facing much lower, much lesser charges, shall we say, or, you know, fewer uh, penalties um, for state or local charges. And, 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 and frankly, I think more appropriately, um, the state or local charges. To, to what extent are you able to identify where this came from out of the Trump administration and presumably the Barr Justice Department? And has the, the pressure to do this from the executive branch diminished with the advent of the Biden administration? Sure. So we certainly saw that the Trump administration uh, became deeply involved through Attorney General at the time, Bill Barr. Um, the first thing that happens uh, is the language that is used to justify uh, to justify this move. So we saw that immediately after the uprisings began, all of a sudden, out of the White House, we were hearing about thugs, and these are out-of-state actors, and these are Antifa. So you start to see and start to hear this language that was coming out of the Trump administration, which is typically done to justify sending in federal forces so that they can actually begin to arrest and prosecute individuals that are that are exercising their First Amendment rights. And so, and this isn't the first time. So, for example, we uh, saw in 2017, you saw this new language, uh, black identity extremists, that the Joint Terrorism Task Force which is, was formed primarily to focus on al-Qaeda and other organizations of, of, of that sort. But then there was this phrase of black identity extremists that became a target. And the reason that that language was important is because it, it opened a door for the federal government to then justify overreach, to justify using the federal government to now prosecute individuals as a way of undermining uh, these movements for racial justice and undermining people's ability to engage and to exercise their First Amendment rights. Yeah, this is uh, amazing stuff. You can read it all at uh, m4bl.org. Is that the best website, Dr. Dr. Anya? Yes, it is. Okay, great. Uh, Dr. Amara Enya, uh, the, uh, the Policy and Research Coordinator with the Movement for Black Lives. Thank you so much for dropping by today. It's been great talking with you. Very informative. Thank you so much for having me. Thank, uh, my pleasure. My absolute pleasure. We'll be right back. We'll continue the conversation after this. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Talk media for the sane among us. Yes, there are some of us still left. Alan in Seattle. Hey, Alan, what's on your mind today? Well, you know, I'd like to follow in Dominion's footsteps. and uh, You mean the voting machine company? Do, uh, yeah, where, he, uh, where the company sued the right-wing media and the uh, various lawyers uh, that were pontificating on that. Uh, the basis of my lawsuit would be that the... And it would have to be a, um, you know, the over, overarching <laughs> lawsuit. That, what, are you, what, what are those big ones called? Class action. action or 
class action. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, because uh, I want to see the right wing media simply because uh, my industry has been decimated um, by the pandemic and. Uh, the right-wing media is prolonging that when we have a free, safe, effective vaccine, and their conspiracy theories are just keeping me out of work. The last time I work in, I'm a professional stagehand, I work in theater. The last time I set foot in a theater was March 15th of 2020. Right. The last time I set foot in a convention center was before that. I, I, I can't remember. Um Similarly, because my my industry uh, gathers large groups of people together, a lot of them indoors, i.e. in the theaters and the convention centers, and the prolonging of the, you know, pandemic through, you know, as you pointed out, the desire to make the economy look bad for the Democrats. Well, you know, I... <laughs> if these guys... I have, I have standing. Uh, they mm-hmm. have deprived me of a livelihood. And they have deprived probably a million of my coworkers of their livelihoods through the prolonged. Um, Are you, you a member know, of SAG after this pandemic? Alan? What's that? Are you a member of a SAG AFTRA or any other a union? Yeah, I am. I'm an IOTC local member. So, Not, uh, uh, have you brought? You know, I'm a member of SAG after. I have, I, but I'll will tell you right up front. I have not brought this up. In fact, we just had um, uh, uh, you know elections here. Um, I've not brought this up with any kind of management in the union, but it seems like the kind of thing that a union could do on behalf of its members. Have you had any conversations with anybody about that? Uh, not yet. I thought I would uh, put that out on your show first and see if there aren't uh, several locals that would uh, start thinking about this. And you know, obviously the, the obviously the statistics are gonna uh, you know gonna claim that you know we're only like at 15 percent of what we used to do in 2019 right right yeah i you know i i don't know if this would be the kind of thing i mean unions typically try to represent people regardless of their political views there's a lot of right wingers who are union members although i would guess in theater and probably in sag after that percentage is lower than normal but you know i I, you know, uh, uh, right. well, yeah. who knows, who knows, but it, but it's yeah. a, but it's a quick way to say, okay, here's all, you know, here's all the people who work in theater, you know, and, or in this part of theater who got screwed as a result of all these lies and misinformation that are causing, uh, you know, about a hundred million Americans to refuse to get vaccinated, which is just mind boggling. I mean, yesterday in Oregon, I think we had like a little over 3000 people got vaccinated. There's still like a million people in the state that are that are refusing to get vaccinated. It's nuts. Alan, I'm with you. And, let, you know, let me know if you reach out to any of these folks and you get any kind of response. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef to you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity And what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. 
They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance, so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman, with two N's, or enter the code Hartman, the two N's, before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. And uh, welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. Margo in Naperville, Illinois. Hey, Margo, what's on your mind today? One quick question. The anti-vaxxers, what did they do with their children when they were required to go to school to be vaccinated? Well, there's two different kinds of anti-vaxxers. There's the... Uh, the kind of old school, very small, less than 1% minority of Americans who just, you know, basically either don't believe in science, have some religious objection to vaccination, or are just whatever, you know. And, and they're the ones who have lied about their kids being vaccinated to get them into school, or they're claiming religious exemptions and things like that. And that's not who is driving the anti-vax movement with regard to COVID. Um, those, you know, the people, I, I, would, I would bet you, Margo, that 99% of the people who are refusing to get the COVID vaccine already have at least one other vaccine. In fact, I would right. bet it's 99.5%. Um, so instead, what's driving this, as I said earlier, is tribalism, which is a word I don't think, you know, we, we talk about enough. This shared sense of identity, this we're all part of this group. And in this case, that tribal group is white supremacists, and, and people who identify with the Republican Party, two groups that typically, you know, in a Venn diagram, they're almost circles on top of each other. And, right. and it's their way of saying that they are willing to take one for the team. They're willing to stand up on behalf of, of uh, you know, their side. And they've been well indoctrinated by Fox so-called news and right-wing hate radio and just the explosion of right-wing crap all over the Internet. It's amazing. I, I was writing a piece the other day about uh, labor, labor unions in the United States, and I wanted to get a pro, you know, a, a pro-labor, anti-right-to-work perspective. I had to dig through more than 40 hits on Google before I got to something that was critical of, of uh, right-to-work, in quotes. Hmm. Um, I mean, uh -huh. that's, that's how thoroughly saturated the web is with right-wing propaganda and now they're now they're saturating the web with or they have been you know for the last year saturating the web with right-wing propaganda having to do with covid like this is a new part of our identity we you know the, the they they hate people of color they hate immigrants they hate unions they hate taxes somehow they all hate the same things that the billionaires do the right-wing billionaires and now they're you know they're going to hate vaccines although i guarantee all the right-wing billionaires are well vaccinated as are their staff as are their maids as are their valets as are their chefs as are their food tasters they're all heavily vaccinated and do you think those people also and lesser let's say well-off right-wingers do you think they've 
had their children vaccinated to get into school? I think so. Yeah. No. I, this this yeah. is this okay. is about this Just is about curious. yeah. This is about COVID. This is not about vaccine. And uh, you know, and thus you know, all the more the the shame, as it were. Margo, thank you right. for the call. It's nice to hear from you, Deborah in uh, New Brunsfield, Texas. Hey, Deborah, what's up? Up until November 2019, I was teaching microbiology at a university for students that were going into nursing. Mm-hmm. And one of the first things I taught them was that no matter how good you feel or healthy you are, you are a disease vector. Because we all carry around things like sap aureus on our hands and all, whatnot. Sure. But as I taught the class, I found it ironic because I was looking into other programs. A lot of nursing programs do not require microbiology as part of the program to go into nursing. Oh, that's unfortunate. And, yeah, there's a lot of procedural learning, but this may explain the reason why you see more nurses that are taken by the anti-vax mean more than the doctors, I think a lot of it has to do with not just politics, but also training. I was really shocked to find out that the program that I was teaching for, teaching under through university, was in the minority. Now, Hmm. this might be just a Texas thing, Mm -hmm. but I'm just wondering if some of this has to do with how things have changed over the decades, you know, because everything is so mechanized anymore. and there's so many, so many procedural things um, and technology that nurses have to learn that, that we've brought things from these programs that we really need to go back and revisit and yeah. add back in. I can't speak to that, Deborah. I don't know. I'm, you know, one of my kids was an RN and is now a uh, nurse practitioner, and I know that she went through a, a lot of training that had to do with, you know, infectious diseases, and I'm assuming microbiology. She's really, you know smart as a whip on that kind of stuff. Uh, my guess is that the the nurses, these anti-vax nurses that we're seeing are going anti-vax, and they're very few and far between, by the way, um, but that they're going in, and in fact, you know, you've got a lot of hospital systems now that are saying, okay, get vaxxed or get out, and, and you, you're not seeing large numbers of nurses saying, okay, we're going to get out. Um, I, I think that they're just people who have joined the cult. They're, and, and, and the cult is more important to them than the science that they know. Although, you know, your, your story is a cautionary tale for all of us, but um, yeah. We'll see, we'll see. Deborah, thank you, thank you. And, and thank you for teaching nurses. God bless you, that's good stuff. David in Hartford, Connecticut. Hey David, what's on your mind today? Hey Tom, thank you for taking my call. Um, I was encouraged by the news that you shared out of uh, the Vancouver area. Vancouver, um, British Columbia, yes. Correct. And the progressive attitude, the common sense application as it pertains to, um, I guess what you, what you termed the freedom, <laughs> the freedom passport, which I like. Um, and then the, the pockets in our country, and I guess your, you know, your area is an example of that, Washington and Oregon. So the, the more that that happens, um, it's encouraging. And it got me thinking um, why we're in this problem in the first place is this, um, this sort of toxic stew um, of, the, of the, the Trump cult of, um, you know, one of the primary ingredients is this absolute entitlement, this idea of absolute entitlement mm-hmm. and not having any 
acting like, you know, there's no accountability. I'm not responsible to adhere to any rules. This blends into the conversation we had about social trust. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so just kind of for me, in my mind, it connects to, you know, these, these lines, these sort of guardrails of society that have been just blown away by this attitude. I, I don't ever remember living in a time where, you know, th- th- that's what's happening. And so I don't know if this is the best analogy, but I'm thinking, where are where are these guardrails that act basically as spanking, <laughs> a good mm-hmm. spanking? How do we how do these people get spanked into just acting, um, you know, with more common sense? I think it's coming, David, and I think it's coming in the yeah. in 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 a in a vaccine passport kind of way. And the spanking is no, you can't come into this restaurant. Sorry, see you later. Right, and that's like the part where. Um, the private sector will respond in kind on the heels right. of... Uh, and you're going to have a million bankruptcies as a result yeah. of people getting sick. And 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 all the focus right now, by the way, and, and this, I suspect, is going to change with time as well. All of the focus is on people dying from COVID. Well, the fact of the matter is about a third, and, and these are the old COVID numbers. I don't have it for the Delta strain, but, but you know, the Alpha strain and the original COVID about a third, anywhere between 20 and 35 percent of people, depending on whose studies you're looking at and which numbers you're looking at, of people who don't die and don't even end up hospitalized, end up with long-lasting symptoms that range from moderate things like nerve pain or difficulty sleeping or mental confusion to really severe things that resemble the consequence of a stroke, you know, uh, partial paralysis or the inability to remember, you know, serious dementia. Um, uh, the, uh, the, the one that gets a lot of publicity, of course, is that about a third of men who have symptomatic COVID end up uh, being unable to get erections, you know, it's a, you know, with yeah, the, the ED. Erectile, yeah. ED, you know, yep, the ED. and, Let me and you with this. these things oh, need more ahead. publicity, <laughs> you know, they need yeah. a lot more publicity. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let me hit you with this real quick, because that's, that's a very important angle, but here's another one. Um, the, the, the blends into the financial pain of things. I've been wondering, you know, I haven't heard much lately about the lawsuits against Fox News. A caller brought it up earlier, but I don't hear any results of that. An example of, um, of this behavior, just one example, was when certain people were in, insistent on bringing guns to Congress. They got hit mm-hmm. with fines. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I guess it works, you know, that, you know, we, we see now fines being levied against people acting up on airplanes. So hopefully yep. that works. So let me leave you with this question on accountability. Um, as far as our politicians, I've been just thinking there should be, um, you know, like a mental fitness test to even be able to run for office or to, or to stay in office. I mean, well, that's of, what we have elections for, talk. David. I, you know, I understand yeah, I know, your but... your sentiment. And, you know, after Trump, people are calling for, you know, some sort of psychological profiling before election. Yeah. That's why we have a, the, the, the failure. If there is a failure here, the failure is on the part of the media to not, you know, clearly explain who these people are. David, I got to run, but thank you. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. It's the place where smart people get their news. The Tom Hartman program back with your calls right after this. And uh, welcome back. Tom Harbin here with you and Trish in Kent, Washington. Hey, Trish, what's up? 
Hi, I wanted to talk about uh, some of the things I do to cope. And one of the things that's been very um, rewarding is I write to some of my grandchildren. I write letters. And one of my granddaughters is quite good at writing, and she really enjoys it. And I realize I feel closer to her than I do to even some of the other ones that I still see or Isn't that uh, sweet? Are you doing that. this by email, Trish, or by physical mail? No, physical letters. Yeah, I have a friend. And they love getting something in the mail like that. Yeah, I have a friend, uh, Alex, oh, I shouldn't give his whole name. Um, he's an old producer with NPR. He, uh, in fact, that's how I met him uh, 30 years ago. And uh, we send physical letters back and forth. And, I, and I, it's just... It's it's a hoot, and he sends yeah, me these long letters, and I you know I respond with typically shorter letters, but handwritten letters. Yeah, it's it's very rewarding. Plus, I spend a lot of time outdoors. I garden, and I also walk a lot. Yeah. And I've given up my car, so I have to walk if I need to go anywhere. And it's it's good. It it really it's is. It all really helps. Yep. Mm-hmm. Trish, thank you. Thank you for sharing your story with us. I, I, it's much appreciated. Jerry in Baltimore, Maryland. Jerry, you're on the air. Hi, Tom. Hey. Um, I wanted to talk about the PTSD you're talking about. And I really think that one of the reasons it's so bad right now in the country, um, it's not just the COVID. It's not just the insanity we see in Afghanistan and all the other things you mentioned. I think it's a lack of the accountability of all the criminal activity is causing additional stress in our lives because we don't see any justice and what we do see is very uneven and we don't understand why like you were talking about how the african americans were being treated so differently in their sentencing from black lives matter all the protesters who were you know not guilty of anything anywhere near as horrific it's unforgivable crimes i feel like at the capitol so i was thinking that a lot of the thing is the problem is the PTSD is because there is no accountability, and I think that adds a lot of stress. But what I wanted to say is how we worked on it as a neighborhood. We all worked on the campaigns, almost everybody on my street. It's a very blue area in Baltimore here. And um, what we ended up doing was um, we went and decided to do a sanctuary for birds, butterflies, and bees. So we all got together and we did a landscaping design. So all the houses are coordinating. Like I'm putting in, a, I put in a 700 square foot butterfly garden, mm-hmm. and I'm also putting in a globe of trees. And my neighbors are all doing the same thing, and wow. we're all working. Like one of my neighbors is even raising uh, tiger swallowtail butterflies. She usually releases a dozen or more a week. Whoa! And we're all like doing different things together. Like, we even have the exact kind of trees in order to bring certain uh, species of uh, butterflies because uh, of the larva has to have a certain type of uh, leaf. Sure. And it's just interesting because we've all worked together as a group, and we've all put together also a way to make it deer-friendly because we have a real deer issue here. I had, like, five deer in my yard the other day. Uh-huh. So we're all trying to, to keep our plants alive with the bees, bring back the bees. It's, it's tough when the garden, when the deer, like, eat everything in sight. Right. Killed my hospice for one thing. But, um, yeah, I was going to say, working as a group, we sort of, like, coordinated the entire, like, six houses. Now all of us have a way to, like, protect the um, very at-risk species, the butterflies, the, yeah. all, lots of other insects. 
But we are really sad because we've noticed we've lost a lot of our birds. So I'm building, like I said, an entire bird sanctuary in the back with like some of my neighbors. Yeah. Whatever we can do to, I think it's just um, very therapeutic because um, the day to day insanity. And you're talking about praying. I mean, prayers and praying on a daily uh, basis. Yeah. One of my prayers I put in every day is that every Democratic senator and Democratic congressman is doing well and survives. Yeah. Because I'm terrified of losing the Senate. That's one of the things that one of my either gives me insomnia at night to tell you the truth. Yeah. I want them to get these things passed while we still have the Senate. That's one of my biggest worries. Yeah, I, you know, I share that concern. And, and I, I, I confess that I don't know if anybody's listening, but I do when I pray. But I do believe that energy is happening. I, you know, I, that the entire universe is made of energy and that our thoughts are energy and our prayers are energy. So uh, there's something there, whether it's, you know, some, you know, imaginary Bronze Age figure from... 3,000 years no, ago. No, I agree not. with you. Uh, and my friend I, I made a real. point to me, my friend Linda. She mm-hmm. told me that just put out those positive messages. Even if you're trying to change it, and it might seem like it's a negative, if you put it in a positive, it just comes out much better. Yeah. You know, I, like you say, you don't want Trump to win. You say, no, I want Joe Biden to succeed or whatever. Yeah, you know there I mean? you go. Yeah. That's Send, what I've sending, been trying to do, put it in a positive term. Sending good energy. We get, we've got to be doing that, sending good energy. Jerry, yes. thank you for the call. Need a lot of the that is so <laughs> spectacular you, that you've been able to pull together five neighbors and the six of you are all uh, doing butterfly sanctuaries and things. It's just spectacular. You know, they sell seeds specifically for butterfly sanctuaries. Uh, you, you can find them. It's just great. Jerry, thank you so much. We'll be back. Stick around. And welcome back. Nicholas in San Cristobal, New Mexico. Hey, Nicholas, thank you for watching us on YouTube. And thank you for helping moderate our chat room on YouTube. What's on your mind today? It's an honor, Tom, truly. It's also a bit of labor of love. Sometimes it's a bit much, but overall, it's wonderful. Listen, which sort of leads to what I've been doing Mm -hmm. to sort of relieve the uh, PTSD that we've all been pretty much all been pretty much suffering through for a long while. You know, we should rename that post-Trump syndrome, PTS. (laughs) To a degree, yes, but you know, I think it's really been going on for a very long time Mm -hmm. because of all the things we've learned about the world now. I just read, I was rooting around for something completely different in the house here over the weekend, and I found a very old dog-eared copy of Baba Ramdas's Be Here Now, so I reread it, and it holds up. Oh, yeah. And it's important. You yeah. know, it's, it's just, you, you understand this. Many people will think we're just wacky here for a second, but, you know, it's so important. It's so powerful. Um, that led to a, a, a conversation I just had with a friend who adopted a rescue dog and named the dog, get this, Citizen Cope. Because the dog is helping him and his wife to cope with all that is wrong with the world. Which then led me to start finishing a book I've been writing for years called How the Dogs I've Saved Saved Me. And I've rescued over 30 dogs here in Mexico over the years. You know, and the the power of the, the innocence, the pure innocence of animals and all that that has to teach us about our own if we allow it deeply. Sean, has, who, who oh. has two rescue dogs, is bowing down to you right now, Nicholas. <laughs> she I know. Is, she, she and is I physically. chatted a bit. She's a, 
a big time uh, she cat lover and animal lover and yeah and and another thing i would advise people to do is to reduce the number of their peripheral acquaintances in life and get back to the real heart friends who have supported them through their lifetimes you know mm-hmm. and uh and to give them the majority of our time yeah. in important ways simple important ways sharing a meal sharing a beer sharing a joint if i dare say it yeah you know or just making a getting phone call on with the actual yeah just I mean, my friend in new york i call him three or four times a week it's just you know uh, his yeah. his his wife just right. died he just went through surgery he's having some tough times you were, you i got to so reach out to people i'm so sorry for both of you really well you know it's but yeah it's, it, it is what it's all about you yeah. know you just you just do it. You do the best you can. But uh, that's great. So reading and writing and the power of animals have been your. I believe it. I believe in it firmly. They have a lot to teach us that we used to know that we have forgotten. Mm-hmm. Well, we're all mammals here. I mean, you know, yep. we all share some basic instinctual stuff, and and. Uh, you sure you know. do. All right. If if sure if, if you don't think animals are up there, just <laughs> observe them. You know, our dog knows when she's done something she shouldn't, or she knows when she wants oh, yeah. attention. Yeah. Don't we all? All the same emotions all. that we have. Nicholas, they because they have a limbic brain just like we do. Nicholas, thank you for the call. It's always nice to hear from you, my friend. Thank you, and thank you again for the great work you're doing on our chat room over on uh, YouTube. Back with more of your calls and the news of the day right after this. And welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. And uh, let's see here, Kathy in Madison, Wisconsin. Hey, Kathy, what's on your mind today? Hi. Well, uh, like I told the screener there, for about the past five days, I've been researching uh, what's going on in Afghanistan with a backward look at what the Trump administration had done, because I remembered a few things that weren't getting reported. And one of the major things is that in the beginning of his administration, uh, about March of 2017, his budget included a 9%, about a 9% uh, personnel cut, about 200,000 workers uh, in the federal um uh, in the federal government, the State Department overwhelmingly got hit more than any other department. Now, why would that happen? At the same time, he's getting his daughter and Jared Kushner elevated into positions uh, within the White House, uh, bypassing laws on nepotism and overriding people on security clearances. Right. He's got Jared running around in charge of everything, uh, running over to the Middle East, making God knows what kind of deals. Right. Taking, uh, taking the positions that the State Department historically did, but they laid off a bunch of State Department people. Exactly, exactly. Obviously, he didn't want any oversight. Rex Tillerson went in there and actually set up a subgroup, uh, a parallel department in there. Uh, The people, uh, the interviews that they had with people at the time, their hair were on fire about this because they were gutting the department, meanwhile setting up a department that was getting, you know, really secretive. We know that Tillerson came in from Exxon with all kinds of cozy arrangements from Putin, who had even awarded uh, Tillerson a medal for Mm -hmm. Pete's sake. Uh, they were targeted on, what was it, that deal, the pipeline Rosneft or something like that, yeah, that they awesome. were trying to get through. I haven't got it into the full research on that, but I do know about it. So while that's going on, 
Um, he's got all these little uh, secret deals running around that people doesn't know about. And I think people kind of overlooked, you know, especially with the Mueller administration, the influence of Vladimir Putin on Trump. So who's Trump listening to? In a report that came out early this year from The Guardian, they actually got the physical Kremlin documents showing about the operation that the Russians were pulling on Trump. They saw him as weak. They saw him as kind of nuts, delusional, and a whole lot of things. Uh, The Guardian reported that in, excuse me, uh, this was a different report. That was a CNN report. The CNN report uh, showed that multiple, multiple senior officials in the White House were extremely disturbed by Trump's phone calls with leaders like Putin and Erdogan, to whom he was extremely solicitous. He was never prepared for what he was talking about. And especially with Putin, he was more concerned with promoting himself about what a great leader he was, how much better than Obama was, how much better he was than leaders of other countries. So who was in his ear? I I think with Erdogan, you know, Erdogan was sending him a couple million bucks a year because he had two Trump towers in Turkey. And in fact, Erdogan threatened him publicly, threatened to, to take his name off those and stop making those payments. So there's uh, yeah, a fairly and there direct connection. Deal about, uh, I, Trump think, I think Putin had the goods on him. Putin with a penthouse. Yeah. Uh, you know, we'll give you a, a, you know this fancy penthouse if you let us. Build, I think it goes you know, beyond that. I, I think the Russian intelligence had had video or or something like it of Trump. You know, uh, he, I mean, he was over there for the for the uh, uh, Miss Universe stuff. And, oh, yeah. uh, you know, in the it, CNN it, report, they even talk about that, that he had talked to Putin about the Miss Universe, about being there for the Miss Universe. Right. Oh, I, I think they've got the compromising information on him. I, you know, whether he raped somebody yeah. or whether, whether he was just hopping in bed with hookers or, or you know, what it was. Um, uh, here's, here's the other thing. In a recent interview, and I just randomly found this story. Remember how... Uh, the, uh, after the election, how he chopped the heads off at the Pentagon Department, put his own people in there. Right. Well, one of the guys was a guy by the name of uh, Chris Miller, who was the acting uh, defense mm-hmm. secretary, acting defense secretary. He did an interview with Defense.com where he said that the deal that Trump struck was a ruse, that Trump never had any intention of getting troops out of there. It was a setup. You get uh, the yeah, I president saw that. of Afghanistan. And, and he just and he just handed this to Biden. And he just dropped this flaming sack of, of, of poop right on uh, Joe Biden's front doorstep. I mean, that's that's basically what happened. We'll be back. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite.
By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. And oh, welcome back. Tom Harbin here with you and uh, Maverick in Edmonds, Washington. Hey, Maverick, what's on your mind today? Dobro Udro. Tom, and that's uh, Bulgarian. For Bulgarian. Oh, oh, you're reaching into your bag of tricks here, Maverick. <laughs> New languages. <laughs> and, uh, so I, what's up? I, I, I just have this affinity for people that are different than me, and uh, whenever I get a chance, I try to pick up at least a, a greeting or how to say please or thank you yeah. uh, in, in a new language. Yeah, I used to have, uh, you know, hello, please, and thank you in about a dozen languages. I think I'm probably down to five or six now. But anyhow, uh, whoop, it looks like Maverick just hung up. I just lost him. So, Maverick, you, you could try to reconnect with us. Uh, but uh, let's pick up uh, Earl in Hyde Park, Illinois. Hey, Earl, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom. Thank you very much for taking my call. I want to say uh, two things. One, well, I wanted to speak to the bug lady and ask her and her neighborhood to put up hummingbird feeds because once you attract uh, insects, you will also attract hummingbirds and the flowers. Uh, they use the, uh, the protein from the insects to uh, help rear their young quicker. And, uh, and they're so pollinators, too, aren't they? And the other thing I wanted to ask you, now this is a fun... I've noticed that in the past that when the Delta virus uh, took off in other nations that it reached the plateau and then it started coming back down, the rate of increase started coming back down. Have you found any uh, such information here in the United States yet? I've seen no evidence of that and it appears that the, uh, the, the tilting back down that happened in Great Britain happened around the time that they were hitting really, really high levels of vaccination. Um, Israel now is, is uh, struggling with breakthrough infections, but they're also starting now a third dose because they think that the first and second doses are starting to wear off. Most of the breakthroughs are among older people, and most of them are not actually people getting terribly sick. So, you know, we have to take all of this. There's, there's all kinds of moving pieces here, um, but uh, I, I think that it, it's going to be quite a while. I mean, Israel's a fairly small country. I, I don't know their population off the top of my head. I'd be surprised if it was over 20 million. In fact, it's probably not even over 10 million. And, and uh, the United States is 340 million. So we've got a lot of bodies who can be infected before we hit anything that even begins to resemble what might be um, uh, herd immunity. So, you know, step by step. Anyhow, uh, that's it. That's everything I know, Earl. Thanks a lot for the call. Kevy, uh, Kelly in Lake Havasu, Arizona. Hey, Kelly, what's on your mind? Well, Tom, you said something earlier that um, that I believed my entire life uh, when I was young and, and uh, read about Einstein. It, it just stymied me. And, you know, you had, you had just said that, you know, energy can't be created or destroyed. Einstein proved that. Well, there was uh, an article I just read in the Inverse yesterday 
um, that proved Einstein's last paper to be correct, which is only a two-page paper. But the basic theory of it is, and it's way more complex than I'm boiling it down to, but the basic theory of it is that light can create matter. And uh, scientists, after 106 years of that paper being around, just proved that. Well, if you don't think that's true, just look at the reverse of it, matter becoming light. It's called a nuclear explosion. It can blind you. Yes. Um, so so it, it, with that line of thinking, my entire life, you know, j- just in, in what I've read and studied along that same line of thinking, uh, what I'd come up with was that, you know, how, how when people have near-death experiences and, and, and they make it back from it, and they, you know, the, the, the majority of the stories was that there was a light and it felt warm and welcoming. And in my summation of that is the light is, is, is probably some major form of energy that's pulling your energy back into it. Like, yeah, I think it's say, the universe. Uh, I think it's all of creation. Exactly, because the, the universe is math. Everything can be assigned a number. Um, there's no such thing as, as creating new souls. Right. Uh, they've they've proven it mathematically that there's no way that, that every person that's born is a brand new soul. It just it, it the universe couldn't sustain that math. So when when if I'm going to pass, if if I uh, can maintain the thought long enough while I'm passing is I'm not going to the light. I don't want to go through this cycle again. Now, I know that it's supposed to be cherished, and that's why I'm cherishing it every day. Because if I don't go into the light and I go into the dark, which is the universe, there's a lot more to learn out there. But this is, this is the whole point of my concept is that you go out into the universe, it could be eons before you get to regain this form. Now, if, if you can only imagine spending eons by yourself with your own energy. Yeah, all of this, um, Kelly, the, uh, your epistemology here all entirely... Um, hangs on the theory that you as an individual entity, that your ego, that your unique consciousness and experiences is somehow intact uh, through that process. Yes, That's like one of the great, I mean, I, uh, <laughs> I could argue both sides of that. <laughs> one of the great yeah, debates. It, it's just that when you brought it up, you know, I've, I've told this theory to thousands of people over the course of my life, and I, I've Every time I tell the, 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 the concept, people are just blown away with it because it touches somebody in some way in every person I've talked to. Um, and I, I have one recommendation for you. It's a documentary called CE5, mm-hmm. Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind. And this documentary is, um, is done by, and I, I forget the, the gentleman's name, but he, um, and you can, it, it's on Prime, it's on Netflix, um, but this is the guy that founded SETI. And mm-hmm. what he's doing is he's got groups around the world. You'll see in the documentary, he's got groups around the world and they get together usually in the evenings, um, somewhere out open, you know, so that it's open sky and everybody sits there and meditates and projects their location. Mm-hmm. And what they're, what they found is that not only can they, uh, get other, uh, beings from other uh, uh, parts of the universe to come here. It, they're, they're doing it through um, astral projection. So not only are these beings come here, which in the documentary, they actually show a picture of, you can see this guy with the helmet on, and I mean, it mm. looks something like out of a sci-fi, um, where now they're actually projecting and going there to the point where one guy that he had talked to had actually 
projected himself so hard into this other location that he actually ran into a spaceship in space yes. and then had to remind himself yeah. not to be so solid. Kelly, it, we're, it, it, we're, we're, we're wandering kind of far afield into Art Bell territory, and I don't, you know, I don't object to that specifically, but I'm, I'm going to stop at this point because I, uh, you know, we're, I, I, thank you. Thank you for sharing those stories. Teresa in Asheville, North Carolina. Hey, Teresa, what's on your mind? Oh, hi, Tom. Hey, Teresa, um, get your mouth closer to the microphone and we'll be good. Okay. Uh, what I was going to say is, is that one of the things that I have done and have done for a while, but more in this pandemic is I have a little brown uh, leather bag and I always go to the bank and get $10 bills. And so I might have a few of them in there. And I give these $10 bills out to uh, various situations, like a homeless person. Or sometimes there was a little girl behind me in a, uh, the other day in a, in a little thing, and she couldn't, her mother couldn't afford an $8.98 book about baby animals. Mm-hmm. So I bought it for her. And a lot of times, um, or I'll just maybe get the drive-in, you know, person at the drive-in behind me and surprise them. Mm-hmm. And I like $10 bills because they're not too much, you know, to get, but they're but they're a little bit better than a $5 bill. Mm. So I always say Hamilton is a great play, but Hamilton is on the front of my favorite bill. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Teresa, you're wonderful. Thank you for uh, sharing that story with us. That's that's absolutely beautiful. I I, I truly appreciate it. Uh, thank you. All right, thank you, Tom. Sure, good talking to you, Maverick. You want to finish that thought you started when you uh, one of us dropped you? I'm, I, if it was me, I apologize. I don't think it was. But... Yeah, it's probably the technology, Tom, because uh-huh. I'm talking on a Bluetooth and my hands were nowhere near my phone. So, uh-huh. uh, so anyhow, what was that? Anyway, uh, your 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 earlier your opening uh, kind of question was, uh, what are you doing? To, uh, to, to deal with the, the stress of these times. And I'll tell you what, a really, really quick story. About a year ago, I, I was ready to break down. I, I did, actually. I, I was on the, girl, on the phone with my girlfriend, and I just I broke into tears. And uh, she kind of she talked me down. And, and my, my, my drinking started going up. I usually have two or three drinks after work because I have a physical job. But it went up to five or six, and I was like, you know, this is, this is not good. This has got to stop. And uh, we had a little talk, and um, we uh, we decided that we were going to carve out uh, some extra time every day uh, just to be with each other, uh, you know. So we kind of upped our, our, our love life quotient a little bit and found it was uh, very relieveful, uh, very good for relieving stress, and it strengthened our relationship. Uh, and my uh, suggestion was to, uh, to, to the listeners is uh, uh, what's helped me is and I don't have any science to back this up, and I think you know that I'm a man of science, and, and I really require evidence. But uh, being nice to somebody, an act of kindness to a total stranger, mm-hmm. makes you makes you feel good and and warm somehow, and it it makes a difference. You know, and when I was a little kid, do, Maverick. I mean, little kid. You know, when I was like eight years old uh, in Cub Scouts. Our den leader told us that, you know, the scouts motto or I don't know if it's the motto or the obligation or whatever was you must do a good deed every day. And what she said was that the definition of a good deed was something that helps another person and they never will know that you're the one who did it. And and I'm telling you, Maverick, 
those things are damn hard to find. It, it's like every day I had to work to find something that I could do to help, you know, my little brother or my mom or our next door neighbor in some way that they had no idea that I had helped them. And I just think it's so powerful. It is so powerful as opposed to doing something nice for somebody in exchange for the adulation that you get, you know? Yeah. And if I may, uh, about a year ago, you uh, presented something on the air that uh, it, it stayed with me uh, to the point where I, I listened to a rebroadcast to write it down. And you were, uh, you, you were providing a timeline, and it was uh, like, you know, we've, we've been through worse. If you were born in the year 1900, you know, you saw the Spanish flu and millions of people dying, uh, you know, by the time you were in your teens and then World War One, and, uh, and you just went on and, and the on. the Great Depression, through, yeah. I think it was, yeah, and... I don't know, maybe it might be worth revisiting uh, that, that timeline. It, uh, yeah, it, Americans it have been through hell, right? I mean, if you were born in 1900, your grandparents or even your parents might have fought in the Civil War, and then, and then you had to put up with, you know, the, the Spanish-American War and the Great Depression of 1898. Well, actually, that, that, and, then, and then World War I, and then, you know, the Great Depression, and then World War II. And, and uh, you know uh, that that generation, those generations, really saw a lot. And uh, you know, I think it's a, a, a probably a good thing to acknowledge. To how, how, it really, how, it really how gave me uh, uh, a, a, a reference point. Yeah, I'm with you, Maverick. I just so, hit the wrong Tom. button at the wrong time, so uh, forgive me. We've got something funky going on here. Uh, here we go. Yeah. No. Yes. No. Maybe. Okay, let's pick up some of your phone calls. Randy in Ottawa, Iowa. Hey, Randy, uh, you wanted to weigh in on whether the soul is intact when it leaves the body? Yeah, yes, I did, Tom. I heard you speaking with Kelly, and you had your doubts about it. Well, I just am not sure. I, you know, I, my wife has a kind of a middle uh, loop. She she thinks that we all kind of go into the. She she follows Susie, Sufi Sam from the 60s in San Francisco. Sufi? You know, Sufi? that yeah. we all go into a giant soup pot like goulash, and then when a new baby is born, the 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 the, the, no. the, the great ladle pulls out some of the not soup and pours it in. Okay, so what's your theory? Well, it's not a theory. I know this for a fact. Okay, that souls when they cross over, they are who they are. That and it's at inception, the that that energy that is created by that the birth of that child stays intact for its entire life and for eternity or until time ends and uh it carries with it as it leaves the body or as it dies it loses its nervous system so it feels no pain but yet it still carries trauma and things like that from their death and from uh um life their life, their the mm. entirety of their life, but um, it, it's it's not like that. Your soul dissipates at the time of death. Your soul is your soul, and there are a lot of people or a lot of believers in reincarnation and stuff like that. And I'm certain that there are a lot of good attributes and people who think that way and contribute to future generations. But there are, there's a lot of things going on in the world right now that are destructive to souls and destructive to people before they pass on. And uh, they aren't net gains for the future um, 
of the melting pot, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. It's not it's not like a like a, a a a general thing. It is each soul is unto itself an energy that is created for its entirety. Randy, I, I have a memory that I my earliest memory of this was when I was maybe six or seven years old. And um, but my memory is of being like five or six years old and sitting in an apartment with a flowered wallpaper, 19th century or early 20th century flowered wallpaper on the wall and a calendar on the wall. And the calendar was from 1917 or 1918. And I was waiting for my dad to come home from World War One. It is such a vivid. And I was born in 1951. World War One was long gone. And it is such a vivid memory. And then there's all these stories. I mean, there's books compiled of these stories of little kids, you know, pre-second demyelination, pre-seven years old, who remember extraordinary details of previous lifetimes. And when they track them down, they find that very often that, yes, we can identify where this kid was, what the name was, what they, you know, all these details. What do you think of that? Yeah, well, I believe, you're, I believe that that is factual. I believe that that's accurate that the soul would have to stay intact for that to happen. And it would have to visit upon uh, this memory upon a new soul or a soul that was uh, in the future. So that you just, I, I verify what that is, is to be factual. And there's other things I'd like to talk to you about, but I don't know that I'd like to do it on national radio. Okay. But, All right. uh, hey, I love you, Tom, and your soul will be intact till the Okay. Well, it, uh, you know, in in way I hope so, and in a way I hope not. I I just don't know. But Randy, thank you. Uh, thank you very much for the call. I got to run. Eric in Erie, Pennsylvania. Hey, Eric, what's on your mind today? Hey, afternoon, Tom. Uh, the Cub Scout motto: Do your best. Was that I it? Was, Do your I best. Yeah, yeah. I was in for a, a very long three weeks before my buddy's mom kicked me out for, we'll just say, my filthy mouth. Okay. I think I was like, I was like eight or nine, and then like maybe a month later, she kicked him out, and 45, 46 years later, we're still brothers. Yeah, I think I was so, in for a little uh, less than a year, but I was not an enthusiastic scout either. Well, I, I never made it any further, but the Boy Scout model is the one that sticks with me, which is always be prepared. Which be if prepared. you ask anybody who knows me, I always am. I've got yeah. a baggie. I've, I've got a tattoo of Felix the Cat that dates back to the 80s because his bag of tricks, he could always pull whatever he needed out of it. But um, the, reason, the reason I called this soul thing, I'm a total non-believer in uh, anything that I can't see, smell, taste, way put on a scale um but if there is a soul that uh deserves to come back it is that of the dearly departed charlie watts the rolling stone the rolling stone drummer yeah yeah 80 and years old the, yeah and if you look back at the his, the early history of the stones they fought uh for desegregation way before anybody else in america they came here they said we're, oh we're they refused to play. to play segregated venues down in yeah, florida and georgia right Right, and they, you know, those things. That was in the 60s. Yep, yeah, and they stuck their neck out with with something to lose, and a lot of commercial artists won't do that. So, mm-hmm. you know, I used to I used to work on a landscape crew when I was going through community college paying my way, and we'd listen to the radio. And we'd be, like, building decks and koi ponds and stuff. 
Hey, that's classic rock radio on because we're all we were boomers and Gen Xers, and um, Dan Shooter would come on, and all the guys would start taunting and teasing me, singing it to me because I had a black girlfriend in the 1980s as a as a Gen Xer, and that wasn't really done then. So, um, you know, grew up with a cop for a father. Uh, yeah, I don't think he was a racist at his core, but doing that job, he developed some attitudes that were pretty toxic. Yeah. But pretty funny that... Sounds like he had a heck of a life, Eric. Well, it wouldn't appeal to me normally, but everyone, Maverick was talking about it, and the guy before him, and I'm like, you know what? Just in case I'm wrong and any of that's true, you know, bring Charlie back. Yeah, there you go. Okay, Charlie Watts. Eric, thank you. <laughs> and will Keith Richardson ever die, or is he already pre-embalmed, you know? But <laughs> I don't know. Oh, bless them all. And you too, actually. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for listening to the program, for participating in the program, for letting our stations know that you're listening, for letting our sponsors know that you support us. Thank you so much. Thank you for, for helping share light in the world. I know you are. Thank you. We'll see you tomorrow. Keep it up. Hey, tag, you're in. Have a great afternoon. Be good to, this, to yourself and the people around you. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.